Hi, I'm LaDonna Humphrey. And I'm Alicia Lockhart. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets, the podcast that shines a light in some pretty dark places. Today, we have a very special guest for you. We have gotten our hands on an honest-to-God death fetish producer, and we're going to pick his brain today. We are bringing in Chris Corner, a.k.a. Chris Brown. Chris is the owner of Chris Corner Films, sometimes referred to as Isla Rain Productions. Chris, are you here with us? Can you hear us today? Hello. Welcome to Deep Dark Secrets Podcast, Chris. And thank you so much for being willing to speak with us. This could be uncomfortable for us since we hold opposing views, but I think it's important for people to hear things from the death fetish community themselves. You are a death fetish producer, correct? Well, I used to be. Um, not anymore. Um, it's been about five or six years now since I produced any films or had anything to do really with um, the community itself. Um, I mean, aside from, you know, shenanigans and, and you know, people kind of harassing me and stuff like that. But other than that, uh, yeah, I've just kind of been trying to get away from that persona and pursue my dreams, you know, um, and other avenues. So this is something that is sort of a closed chapter for you at this point. Would you mind taking yeah, this? It is. It, it's a closed chapter, but, you know, it's always something that's going to be with me. <laughs> like a part of your history that you honor. Absolutely. You did say it's been about five years since you were making any films. So how long were you in the business total, Chris? Um, I would say about 11 years. Oh, okay. So quite, quite a body of work you had there. How many videos would you say you created during that time frame? Oh, I probably acted in a couple thousand before I really started producing. Um, and then uh, I'd say I was close to, yeah, probably 2,500, 3,000 different videos, clips, cameos. Wow. Do you care to discuss what production companies that you were affiliated with during that time? Sure. Yeah. The, um, you know, first I started with uh, Peachy Keen Films, PKF. Um, and then the John M. and I kind of collaborated on uh, what was called, it, these are stores basically um, that are on a, you know, a certain site or a couple of different sites that that sell the clips and the downloads. Um, and, you know, I did a lot of acting and camera work and, and you know, just all kinds of set building, uh, all kinds, all facets of production for uh, for PKF, uh, The Basement, um, Room Org, Films. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's... That's 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 pretty much it. Were all these different producers and production companies in your area or were you having to travel to meet them? Yeah, I mean they're pretty much in my area. I you know, I travel to Las Vegas. That's that's pretty much it. Um and but then, you know, I had people come to me from LA, from Florida, from uh North Carolina, New York, uh wow, Colorado. So 
There are death fetish producers all over the U.S., basically. Yeah, that's interesting. So it does sound like there is death fetish all across the United States and that you've potentially had a hand in all of that. Oh, yeah, all over the world. But definitely the U.S. uh, puts out probably the most uh, when it comes to, like, the best quality. Uh, There's some in Russia and Ukraine that do... Uh, you know, kind of copycat and do really good work. Noted for our listeners, Chris, that you are saying that there's really good work being done in the death fetish community. Got it. Are there, would you say there are hundreds of death fetish producers in business currently, or do you feel that it's a smaller group of people making this kind of content? Yeah, I think that's a question that is important, Alicia, that we ask. We need to wrap our our head around about what's happening in the community as we work to put a stop to this. I think it's a smaller group now because of just, you know, how hard it is, how much you have to pay models and for production and and camera equipment is really expensive. I remember when we started out, you know, we used to shoot a video and get it edited and put it on the store and it would sell hundred, couple hundred copies. Um, just like, you know, overnight, maybe in a couple days to a week, depending on the, the content. Um, but, you know, then it became every, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry had a production company, so to speak, and they were producing videos. And so with any sort of supply and demand, it just kind of flooded the market and that that went down. But but the top producers like uh, myself and 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 PKF and uh, Room Org and some other ones, uh, you know, were always on the top and always sold the most copies uh, just because they knew that they were going to get the best bang for their buck. No, no pun intended. <laughs> so this um, sounds like thousands of videos being made for people who have some sort of death fetish. Is that correct? Are there a lot of people looking for this kind of content? Yeah, Chris, I think that's the pressing question. What you've been describing seems like an astronomical amount of people that think that death fetish is okay. So how many people are we talking about? Yeah. And, you know, death fetish is kind of a, it's a large net that you cast, you know, it's, there's so many different mean to you. Like, how would you describe death fetish to somebody who had never heard of it before? Well, to me, it is, you know, um, it's a a video or, or it's a content that involves a death of a female, you know, 99%. There is a little bit of the male death fetish, but it's kind of a a taboo. Nobody really speaks about it. It's very underground. Um, A lot of the, the, the people who... Wait, so it's taboo to murder a man, but not a woman? I'm glad that you did clarify that for our listeners, Chris, because one of the points that we're trying to drive home through this podcast and through our advocacy work is that, you know, the death fetish community is glorifying the murder of young women. So I'm glad that you clarified that, that it is 99% young women that are being depicted as the murder victims. No, 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 no. I'm just saying to the, to the, I mean, I think that everyone's created equal in that aspect, but as far as the, the, the people who buy videos, 
99% of the people who buy death fetish videos want to see, you know, a woman, you know, being murdered in some certain way or being knocked out and being dragged around the room or flopping the limbs around or, you know, there's so many different subgenres and, and there's so many different people out there that have their own little niche, you know, fetishes um, that, that it's really, it's astounding. It's, it's, I, I've, it really blew my mind uh, as I got more and more into it and uh, started to take on more custom videos and stuff like that. Just the, the details and the the different types of you know the different types of ways that someone could be murdered i just want to jump in here real quick alicia before you ask the next question chris and no offense and we did invite you on the show but you're here and you're laughing about this topic of murder and you're openly admitting that it is the murder of young women and that's what 99 percent of these consumers are wanting to see and it's just I'm, I'm i'm sitting here as you're speaking horrified by this and i i think that our listeners are going to be horrified too i'll just leave it right there and i'm gonna let alicia ask her next question so you were getting a lot of requests for um like very specific detailed kinds of films from certain mm -hmm. people like i guess your customers yeah so um yeah, they're called customs and people would, you know, inquire about a custom and, you know, you would reply, and this is all over email, and you would reply, you know, like, what are you looking for? What's your specific fetish? You know, uh, you know, what, what model? What are you looking for in the model? You know, blonde hair, large, you know, bosoms, like, you know, you know, like different types of, of, you know, uh, characters. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's all over the board. <laughs> so basically, Chris, really, you're describing that the fetishers are able to describe who their ideal woman is to be murdered. And as a death fetish producer, you make that happen for them. How does it feel to be in the midst of that kind of a business? Did you ever feel worried that the people you were talking to were dangerous? No, not really. No. Um, for the most part, see, there's a, there's a, what's called a, it's called a, the community. And so there's different forums and different chat rooms and different websites where people go and they talk about all this stuff and they talk about it, but it's, you know, 99.9% .9 of it is fantasy. Whoa. Okay. Whoa. I mean, Alicia, what he just said, and just bear with me here, Chris, 99.9% .9 of it is fantasy. So I feel like that is potentially an admission that, you know, that some of it is not fantasy in that community. And that is what disturbs me the most. And our podcast covers many, many examples of death fetish that goes very, very wrong. It ends up in the real life death of men and women. So I'll, I'll let you continue here, Chris, but I wanted to point that out. I mean, there's some, some cruddy people out there, you know, anywhere you go. But for the most part, 
these people were really kind and generous and nice and and they just led regular lives and a lot of them hid it most of them hid it from their families and their loved ones for the most part it was a really tight community of people who were just afflicted with this fetish and but didn't ever want to harm anyone ever like in real life i mean wow Chris, I'm glad you said some of those things because that is actually information that we try to impart to our listeners that these people on the outside seem to be normal. They have normal jobs. They, you know, often don't tell their loved ones, even the people that they're married to. And so they keep this a secret. And so it's not somebody that you could just walk down the street and pick out. But you also use the word afflicted, and I think that's interesting too. I have some thoughts about that. It's so hard for me to wrap my brain around. I wonder if other people may feel that way too. Did you ever open up to other people who were outside of the community about this business and they respond in that way where they were confused about that? Yeah, yeah, I'm really actually interested, Alicia, in, in what he has to say here. I mean, I'm learning so much, and it's just fascinating to me to learn this information from an actual death fetish producer. I've had it, you know, several different ways where, you know, I've had people who found out that I did that and never talked to me again. And mm-hmm. I've had people that were really interested in and actually asked questions and got to the bottom it, of it and realized that that it was just a fantasy. Like it, like a, a regular movie, it, you know, there's all kinds of death fetish in, in Hollywood mainstream, but you know, people don't pick up on it or they don't, you know, see it as a, as a fetish because, you know, they're just used to seeing violence and they're used to seeing crime and they're used to seeing people being killed. And, and you know, um, it, you know, it really kind of blossomed with the True Detective magazines back in the 60s, 70s. Um, they would have you know, staged pictures or real pictures of like, you know, women in in distress or, you know, pictures of them laying on the floor, you know, with like a gunshot or some, you know, whatever particular fetish they were into. And I think that really, you know, some kids were, who are now, you know, in their 60s or 70s, were looking under their dad's mattress and under the playboy was the true detective magazine and it kind of kind of sprouted this this kind of thing in their head and they were attracted to it somehow i don't know if i agree with that these true detective magazines and this type of fetish isn't in every corner of every community so i think that's actually pretty rare yeah, I think there's multiple ways that these fantasies crop up for people, but it seems like there's a very intense drive within these people where they're going to take anything they can get. For some people, it's a detective magazine. For other people, it might be just seeing the slightest suggestion of something in a movie. So you believe, Chris, I'm after everything that you've just said, that the people who ordered your films are just normal people, that these were not murderers in the making, that these were just people with these death fantasies, so to speak, that would never act on them. Yeah, you've really, for the most part, there's a couple of crazies, um, completely insane whack jobs that are out there. They're, I mean, but they're everywhere. 
you know, they're at the grocery store, they're at the gas station, they're at the, you know, at the mall, you know what I mean? They're everywhere. But, you know, these people were, were, uh, the, what I'm, you know, I'm talking about the, the real insane people who like are the 0.1 or the 1%, um, of people who really get off on the, the thought of, you know, just sociopathic behavior, you know, so. I guess I really don't understand what you're saying, Chris, because you keep referring to this 1%, but where is the responsibility that you're taking if it is just 1% that could actually be dangerous and have motives to actually kill or use these films as some sort of fuel for their desire to kill real women. I I hear you. I hear that you're downplaying it. And that's the way I see it. I'm wondering how many of our listeners are going to feel the same way. Like it or not, Chris, you were catering to a population that wanted to see women murdered. So I think that you have some responsibility there. I don't feel like you're, you're taking accountability. From what I know about sociopathic behavior, there is a lot of fantasizing going on for them as well. So how do you differentiate the people who are ordering death fetish videos from those people? How can you tell the difference between who's going to act on a fantasy and who is not? Uh, Because I got to know them. um, uh, I see them with their families and they're just normal people and they're at the beach with their family and they're, you know, doing their thing. And And you're not looking at these photos thinking like, oh, there's Bob and I know exactly how he would murder a woman. Exactly. I just don't feel like we're getting a good enough answer here. No. Well, I know exactly how he wants his video of someone, uh, of a woman being, uh, you know, murdered in a fantasy. Um, Not, you know, he's wants to murder someone. It's it's really You don't think you know, it's a slippery slope? <laughs> it absolutely is, Alicia. And it's like I mentioned to him earlier. I I don't feel like he's taking accountability for really the seriousness of this matter. However you try to paint this picture to not take accountability, Chris, this is a community of men who are fantasizing about the murder of women. And there really is not a good way to downplay that. You know, if you if you do dig down and you do the research and like I did and you look at the history and you're involved in that community, you see that the people that are really uh, into it and can differentiate from regular life and reality and fantasy, you know, it's a it's definitely there's definitely both in their lives. Um And I, you know, I completely, because I would, you know, like I said, I'm out of the community and I'm not afraid to say anything because I'm not worried about any repercussions. So, you know, that's why I'm doing this interview. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you think that this is a funny topic. Clearly, we're on different sides of the fence here, but you've touched on a lot of things, I think, Chris, where you're inadvertently agreeing with us that there is a certain population within these death fetish communities that are dangerous. You've even said that in a roundabout way. So I'm still just having trouble trying to understand the justification. 
I'm not trying to protect anyone. I'm not loyal to anyone except for myself and my family in real life. Um, and, and, and I would say the same thing over and over again, but there is a couple of, you know, there's a couple of people out there that, that, you know, have gone over the edge and have, you know, still to this day, send me emails and messages and, uh, there's a bit of misogyny, I could say, in some of the groups, but for the most part, it's it's just regular people who are afflicted with the fantasy. It's definitely hard for me to wrap my brain around. It would be hard for me to be comfortable being around somebody knowing that they were thinking about that for you know a large percentage of their time during the day. I've never really said this um, out loud because it's kind of uh, it's it's something you don't really say um, in the community because if you're a fetish producer, they want you to, you know, be into the same things that they are or have your own specific fetish or something you're really into. And I just, I just pretended I'm, I'm an actor. So, so I kind of this was like that. an act for you, or you were in a it persona is. of a death fetish producer. 100%. I do have this quote here of yours from okay. one of the forums that does say, I have several fetishes, including erotic death, feet, high heels, skirts, and rough sexual play. And that always translates into my work. So that right. was not true. Well, except for feet. I do love feet, but I like them to be living. <laughs> but that's about it yeah so yeah that was a complete lie and I was just saying that because I wanted more business I wanted people to take me seriously um and you know I mean I was the and probably still am the most famous actor in that genre that's very interesting and now we know the the role that the self-proclaimed most famous death fetish producer had in this industry. Interesting. Let's go back a little bit in time, just okay. back to when you were producing films. Your, you okay. know, your name is Chris Brown. What was your production company called? It was called Krista's Corner. And then I also had a uh, Taboo Cinema. And then I also had in in later years, um, called One to One Fantasies. And what would you say your like? signature was what did you specialize in what what would people say your films were like oh that's a tough one I I don't know you know people saw me as the you know the the strangler you know big strong guy the, who could also you know have some charisma and kind of you know be good with with the ladies but then you know turn on a dime and strangle them with their pantyhose. All right. That's scary to hear you say good with the ladies, but could turn around and strangle you in a heartbeat. I mean, I don't know the demeanor here. Uh, I don't know, Alicia. Again, it's all hard for me to wrap my head around, but some of this is just really, really concerning. <laughs> so a lot of your films were about strangling. Yeah, I would say that's probably the, I would say that was the most, um, as far as like numbers, yeah, that would, uh, did more strangles. They just sold better than everything else. So that was um, a really popular 
request. That was really popular. Yes. Yeah. Um, and how did you first decide to move from acting in these films with Peachy Keen to mm -hmm. creating your own company? What was the thought process there? Yeah, Alicia, I'm wondering how one moves from acting to producing not just one or two films. I mean, he mentioned earlier, it was thousands and thousands of films. So Chris, could you explain that to us? Well, it was really, um, John M and I were, you know, trying to branch out, trying to have more stores, trying to compete with psycho thrillers and, and uh, several other uh, production companies. And so, you know, it was John's idea. Hey, we should, you know, ha you should have your own, start shooting some of your own content. And then, of course, you know, he, he wanted to also uh, do some acting himself, um, whatever that was about. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean what it was about? It was about having sex with women on camera. I'm just saying, Chris. Yeah, so he kind of, you know, swapped sides with me. And so I started creating content and, and then after a while, it kind of became, uh, it kind of became almost like a casting couch sort of situation where, you know, I was, he was, you know, in the back room, like, Hey, try to get this girl to do this for me. And while you're directing and, you know, see how far we can take it. See how far you can take it. I mean, what does that mean? Does that mean in the sexual aspect? Or are we talking about the strangulation aspect, pushing it as far as um, you possibly could? That's a pretty frightening statement, Chris. There was one specific instance where I just said no. And the, the girl, the model who was, she had actually just done a bunch of like hardcore stuff in LA that wasn't death fetish, you know, it was porn, hardcore adult films and she was you know like now nah, man you know fluff yourself and uh and he you know kind of pushed me too far and and i we had a falling out and then that's when i just went on my own so at that point you were i guess like enjoying being part of this industry and you wanted to keep acting and keep making films so it was it, it was your falling out that yeah, well, it kind wasn't, of spurred it you wasn't really it wasn't really that I was enjoying I mean I I enjoyed the creativity um I didn't enjoy the model I did not enjoy the model drama I didn't enjoy um you know the the lack of professionalism um when it came to a lot of certain models not all of them. There's some really great people out there um, who do great work and, you know, they don't try to rake you across the coals for money. You know, you pay them well and you be fair and they're on time, but that's really rare in the amateur, which is, you know, we were trying to target that, you know, so yeah, you... we were trying to, the, the new face, the new, you know, the new face on the block and, you know, something new for people. And they're like, cause, cause the community would get really excited about a new model or a new face or. Um, so how you know. did you find models for these films? Yeah. I'm really interested to know how you come across young girls who want to pretend to be 
murdered in horrible ways, murdering, stabbing, strangulation. In these films, Chris, with these older, overweight, balding men who they're actually having sex with. I'm interested how you come across those kind of models. Well, and this is Oregon, you know. We have a exotic magazine back in those days in the, you know, in the heyday. Uh, we just placed ads. We always had a studio that was safe and secure where, you know, someone could bus over or drive over and meet with us and or meet with one of us and we'd do an interview um, and, uh, you know, talk about, show some examples, talk about what we do and how we do it and and then, you know, proceed from there. And was there like depictions of necrophilia in these videos? Yeah. Chris, were there? Was there necrophilia happening? Because uh, to me, that takes it to the next level. Oh, some of them. Some people aren't into necrophilia, but for the most part. So are you you saying some people have a death fetish but are not into necrophilia? Oh, yeah. There's a lot. There's several. There's people that just want to see the strangle and see some body pans, which, you know, are like, you know, shots of the body in slow motion all around from different angles. And then they want it over with. Some people want, you know, the the death scene and then they want somebody to ravage the body. There's some people that want you to, you know, strangle some woman or break her neck or, you know, whatever. And then pick up her arms and flop them around or roll her around or, you know, sit her up in your lap and, you know, kind of ragdoll. So there's so many different types of, of, of niche of fetish yeah it's it's there's a lot and so there's too you, much there are our research has shown that there you're, i mean you're right there are hundreds of different tags and categories for these fetish films and it just seems like they're all very gruesome and frightening you were acting in a lot of these videos that you had produced right uh you know the a lot of the ones that i produced i you know i acted in some of them um, there was a time, a good, actually a good chunk of time where my partner was, you know, she would run the camera and I would do the acting and then I would do the editing and, you know, I'd do the recruiting and all that stuff. And she would help with the effects and makeup, um, you know, for anything that had to do with blood. Some people aren't into blood. They don't want to see a lick of blood at all. Um, and then there's people that want you know gallons (laughs) wow that's just awful i mean i just think that all of this is really just disgusting i just don't understand why you would go through with these films and participate in this industry i mean i know that some of it you kind of laugh at but this is serious 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 stuff we're listening to you laugh about simulated murder and necrophilia i just don't think it's funny I still cannot wrap my head around this being sexually arousing for people. For sure. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Did you feel like uh, it was a sexual experience for you to be an actor in this situation? I mean, I'm sure you were, you're with these beautiful models that are, I assume, naked. And was it arousing? Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, I had some good times. I, I'm not going to lie. Um, 
and you know but you know when it's time to roll film that's that's when you know you got to really be in character and you got to kind of sometimes look beyond some of those things but i tell you what it's it's really tough for you know the the blood is made out of like you know sugar syrup you know so it's like getting sticky stuff on your bits and pieces you know isn't really that sexy and uh, at least not for me and uh uh the the part as far as the arousal of someone you know depicting some lady being killed isn't arousing for me either well chris i mean i know that you're saying all that and that answer sounds good and maybe you think that sounds good for our listeners but i just want to add here alicia before the next question for him is that i've seen many 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 of your films chris in research seen dozens and dozens and dozens of clips and i will have to be blunt that you didn't seem to have trouble with an erection in any of these films you were clearly aroused and having sex with these women often when they are already strangled and dead i really feel like that conflicts with the answer that you just gave us alicia i just felt like before we moved on that was something that i wanted him to know that i have seen his films and i can't agree with the answer that he's giving actions speak louder than words it's not always sexual um well it's not always uh, sexual acts that are making someone aroused um so you know um that's that's kind of the strange part about it for me um that you know someone would be aroused by something that doesn't have anything to do with sex what parts of the films fell into that category for you i know you said like limb play is that yeah yeah limb play limp play um ragdolling and stuff like that that's i mean it's just you know pretty much just boring to me you know and and but well yeah i think that indicates though that somebody is unconscious maybe is the arousing part i would imagine for somebody who has a a death or a murder that's that's exactly it and sometimes it's not even death uh sometimes you know they would just want chloroform and and you know all this other stuff and then you would uh, you know, it'd be a custom with like chloroform and whatever. And then he would ragdoll them for like 30 minutes in the film. And, uh, and then, you know, you just add a death scene to the end, a neck snap or, a you know, something, or you wake them up and strangle them or something like that. And so that you can sell that part because you can edit that out for the customer and then sell the entire video to the consumers. Mm-hmm. Okay, then how are you able to make these, I don't know, the neck snaps, the these scenes that you're talking about look so realistic, Chris? It definitely doesn't seem fake. Again, I've seen dozens and dozens of your movies, and you've spent quite a lot of time honing your craft, so to speak. I mean, it looks real. Explain that to our listeners. Well, it's, you know, it's it has, it's just... You know, it has a lot to do with the blocking and, and, you know, lots of practice. And there's just, you know, different techniques uh, that you use, that you teach the models. Um, you know, it's a trick of the camera and good, sometimes lousy acting. <laughs> well, okay. So 
research does show us, Chris, that much of this type of content and behavior and fantasy life, it spills over into reality. And so I think what we all want to know, I think I'm going to speak for the listeners here, you know, how has this involvement in the death fetish community impacted your personal life? I mean, surely there's been some, some sort of overlay there into your personal life that's I would think potentially been unpleasant. Surely. Well, um, you mean throughout? Yeah. Um, you know, during I, you know, just, you know, had a, a child. Um, I was, uh, I transitioned into this job from doing another job and I was new to it. And she kind of, she found out what I was doing and, so that became kind of an issue. Um, so your and, partner, well, I guess, was she your partner at the was, time? It was, she was my ex-partner at the time. And then pregnant yeah, with your long child. Long story, long story, yes. Um, so yeah. she was not okay with this kind of work? No, no. I mean, really, what woman that isn't a model or someone who's into that sort of thing would be? Exactly, Chris. I mean, I would think that would be very uncomfortable for any woman that was in your life. It's pornography and it's all about the murder of women. So, I mean, I think that that's probably fair that she wasn't a fan. She just said it was disgusting. And, you know, I think she was more bothered that, you know, I was having sex with, you know, beautiful models or whatever. And, you know, I think there was a bit of jealousy, even though, you know, we weren't together and it was her choice. Um, and I think also, you know, because, um, you know, the child was a daughter. And so, you know, it, like I said, any female who has any sort of instinct or, you know, morals or ethics. Oh, I would agree to that, Chris. I think it's probably very um, frightening to people to hear about the fact that the death fetish even exists, but to know that you are having multiple films made where you are the actor and you're having sex with these women would be hard for any woman to understand or to be okay with. And I think when you add the death fetish factor on top of it, it just makes it even worse. I mean, it's, it's horrifying, and I, I can kind of hear it in your voice as you're describing this to us. I, I can tell that you're bothered by it. Uh, it seems like you're uncomfortable. I mean, I, I appreciate you sharing this with us, but definitely I can see her point of view. I mean, it's a t- tough pill to swallow. So yeah. was this career something that you shared with your friends and family mostly? Or? No, not re- no, not really. I tried to you know, keep it on the down low, but there's only so much you can do. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I've, I have friends that know and still know, and they're still my friends and we don't really talk about it every once in a while. They'll make a remark or say something to, you know, if they're jokesters or something. Yeah. Um, it's not really a subject uh, that anyone talks about anymore. Yeah. I guess that makes sense because you're not doing it anymore. I was just kind of curious how it impacted your, your day to day while you were, would you tell people like, if you meet a new friend and they ask you what you do for a living, what would you say? I would just say I'm a 
I work in uh, the entertainment industry. <laughs> so you would keep it pretty vague. <laughs> yeah. I guess you would have to keep that super vague that you are working as a death fetish producer and actor. I mean, I'm not sure how you would slip that into a conversation. Very vague, yes. I think one of the questions that I'm most interested in asking today surrounds the legalities of these films. So, I mean, Chris, can you talk to us about what you know about, you know, federal and state laws surrounding death fetish pornography? Is this legal where Absolutely. you Absolutely. It's, it's completely legal. Um, uh, we, you know, have model releases that people sign. We take pictures of their IDs. We would video them stating that they, you know, weren't coerced into doing it and they were doing it their own will for a payment. And yeah, it was just, it was a job. It's a, and, and here in the Northwest, and especially in Portland, it's, you know, part of the, you know, sex workers. It's just, it's, it's a big part of the Northwest. That may be true, Chris, but it's also the exploitation of women. Uh, let's not forget that. Portland has more strip clubs per capita than anywhere in the world. So the federal obscenity laws never really concerned you because of Oregon's laws? Uh, well, that's one of the reasons why some people produce in Oregon. But at the same time, the, 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 those laws, as long as you're uh, working within the, you know, if you're doing it legally and, and running it legally and you're not forcing people to do things, you, you, you can pretty much do what you want to do. That's a frightening statement, Alicia. Even though there is a federal obscenity law, that pretty much yes. what producers feel, at least in Oregon. Yeah. I mean, in, in, yeah, in Oregon, I think also in Washington. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there are obscenity laws, you know, um, but, you know, we, we, that's one of the reasons why we only sold our videos on a secure site, you know? Um, so a little bit of concern about the laws then. Well, Alicia, I would think that's a lot of concern. He's admitting to trying to sell these videos in such a way that he can get around the obscenity laws or get around getting caught. No, I was never concerned. Well, why would they need to be on certain kinds of websites? Well, because of the credit card companies. The credit card companies uh, would shut down your merchant account if they found out you were doing that sort of thing. And if you get a flag on your merchant account, it's hard to get another one. I, mean, I am glad to hear that. It means that they're paying attention and they can see that this particular industry is dangerous. So I, I'm glad that the credit card companies take some action. I think that's important. Yeah, it's uh, the credit card companies for the, for the most part that, that, you know, would shut that down. There was never, never any sort of federal like FBI or, you know, um, U.S. Marshals or anyone that ever contacted me or, or John M or anyone about any of that stuff um, because they knew, you know, that, that it was pretty much fair game. <laughs> well, I mean, Chris, I think after the work that we're doing in this podcast, I think that might change. So 
you know, the whole point in this podcast and our activism is to take a stand against this. So that leads me to my next question, Chris. I've just got to know, do you think there's any real crimes being committed? I mean, within the communities or, you know, when these movies are being made themselves? No, I, th- I think that there is and there has been. Um, you know, there's been some times uh, when I was working with a certain producer and, you know, there would be, you know, you'd, you have to be 18 to be in a film. Mm-hmm. And you have to be 21 to legally drink alcohol. And uh, sometimes there was alcohol provided, you know, to loosen people up, um, sometimes upon request. And I think that that's probably one of the one things that, you know, it's like, you know, kind of almost the same as like if you went up to the the corner store and you asked someone to buy you some liquor, you know, it's uh, it's against the law. What about um, drug and- use? Did you see a lot of that? You know, not really, um, because a lot of the drugs that uh, people use or provide or whatever, I was never into drugs. I mean, I had a, I had an issue with uh, opioids for a while, but that was just me. I wasn't providing them to anyone because I needed them for myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, because, you know, like, if you're, you know, giving somebody blow and you're doing blow, you're not going to be making very good porn videos. That's for sure. You know, because of, uh, you know, how things work with that. I don't know if you know, but that's how things work with that. So, um, and yeah, I never really. Did you ever feel like there was any like physical abuse or rape or human trafficking? Like those are the kinds of things when I look at these videos as an outsider, I, you know, I just feel a little concerned with, with those. Sure. I, I think that, that there were times for sure when, um, people, uh, models were pushed a little into doing things that they might not have done. Um, you know, you know, if you're like shooting something and like, oh, you know, I only want to do this. And it's like, hey, well, if I give you a couple hundred extra bucks, do you want to do this? Because we're trying to get this and this is what we're after. Um, I guess. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, let's do it. Let's do it. And I know I did. I pushed some people to, to their limits of acting. Um, and definitely like you know intense you know physical activity uh as far as like you know trying to make things look realistic but as far as like um doing things against people's will um i i don't yeah i can't really think of um any times where that was really an issue on my sets. I can't speak for other producers. I mean, I, and I don't, you know, and I'm just talking about people in the U.S. Who knows what's going on in Russia or who knows what's going on in Bulgaria or wherever, you know? Well, I mean, Chris, I would push you back a little bit on that. I mean, you told us earlier that it was a tight-knit community and you knew everybody in the United States and you knew their families. You went into great detail 
to us. And now you're kind of pushing that off and saying, well, who knows what's going on in these other countries? So I feel like we're getting two different answers here, Alicia. He's definitely contradicted himself several times, and this concerns me. And this is one of the very reasons that I'm so concerned about the death fetish industry. No, they, I mean, it, it, I've heard some stories, but I'm just saying I was never... What kind of stories have you heard? I was never on the set, you know, and I was never a part of the production. Um, oh, I've just heard of some, you know, a certain producer in town... Uh, who was a guy who replaced me, um, who he was just really hardcore and, and uh, he, you know, he was really into bondage and, and, you know, stuff like that. And so he really pushed people to their limits and sometimes past their limits and to the point where, you know, there was possible injuries and, people not going back to work for the for that company because of it that's one of the things that we're concerned about so i'm glad that you felt comfortable with being so honest with us about it chris and that was somebody that was producing work like in your company after you left it or is that what you mean well it wasn't it was never my company it was somebody else's company and the it was just a person who came in um uh, after I left and he was just, you know, he was just this guy that he was just a little too much. And I think that, and I've just heard stories. I can, I mean, and those are still stories. Um, but I, but they were from reputable sources because they're models that are coming to work for me. Um, and I'm like, Oh, you're shooting for so-and-so next. No, I'm not working for them anymore. Oh, okay. Well, you know, you're out of town from South Carolina or Montana or wherever, New York, and you're coming through and you're shooting with all these companies, but you're not shooting with them. So that can tell you something right there. It absolutely tells us something right there. It tells us that the models didn't feel safe and, or, you know, they'd been injured. There'd been something that had happened. And uh, I mean, that's incredibly concerning, Chris. And do you believe that these models feel safe doing this kind of work? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I don't know anymore, but back when I was doing it, I know I've pushed the edges a few times. And that's really, really not okay. I mean, come on, Chris. Do you really think that these models feel safe doing this kind of work? Never hurt anyone. Yeah, me personally, you know, I'm, I like to make people laugh more than anything. Yeah, I mean, you do laugh a lot through this, Chris. So I would agree that to some degree you think this is funny, and I can tell that you do want to make people laugh, but this is a very serious subject. And If you could see the, the uncut footage, which I no longer have, I sold all the rights to a guy in the Netherlands. At pretty much every turn when we have a question for you, Chris, and I think this is fair to say, you know, there's always some sort of deflection, how it's not your fault. Well, now you can't show us the outtakes because you sold, you know, your rights to a guy in the Netherlands. It's pretty convenient how none of this has been your fault. I find that really, really interesting. Yeah. I, I think, Chris, that, I mean, you have to admit some of this looks really real. But if you think about it, that's, that's production, that's acting, that's even, that's Hollywood, that's stage acting, that's everything. It's shocking. It's horrifying. And I think there needs to be some accountability for this content. You know, where everyone at the end of the day, 
you know, gets paid and goes and eats dinner together and, and goes home. I hear you say that. So I, you know, I'm going to trust that that's what happens in the videos, but you're right. We don't see that part when we go For look sure. up a Chris Corner film. We're just seeing these sure. other well, things. Well, do you ever, but, but riddle me this, do you, um, on these videos on motherless, I'm notorious for every single, pretty much every single video that I've ever made. I do outtakes after the credits are rolled. That's Have you seen any outtakes? No, not in the videos that I've watched. Just go like, look at the videos and look at after the credits. I always like 90% of my movies, I have outtakes and there's, you know, people like laughing and people falling down and like and that's kind of was my way of showing that hey we're having fun we're making money and this is a job and this is what we do for a living and no one's getting hurt and you know for the most part and i've yet to see some of these outtakes you're telling us that 90 percent of your films have these kind of outtakes with this candid feature at the end and i've i've not seen one so again this seems to be a scenario where you're downplaying the seriousness of the film and and you're trying to win us over with hey it's just a job these films look real and they look like they're depicting real murders and i don't see anything humorous in these videos at all alicia i think this might be a good time for you to read this film description to him that we have I'm assuming most of the listeners have never read your film descriptions or seen your films. So this film is called <laughs> Ice Pick Blues. And it says another professional woman thinks she can order everyone around just because she doesn't get fucked right. This time she's in for a surprise. The man she's being rude to is not really a man replacing one of her drafty windows, but instead a transient serial killer on the prowl. He loves to stab his victims, this time with an ice pick, once into the brain, and after a little undressing, one to the chest for the final blow. She twitches yep. the entire time, wide-eyed with fear and astonishment. Mm -hmm. After he stabs her with the final plunge, he has sex with her warm, twitching body. Fresh kill for a warm, hot necrosex. What a feast. Yeah. So that is an absolutely horrifying and disgusting description for a film. And I do not understand why this would be considered entertainment. I actually remember that film. I remember where it was shot. I d I'm trying to think, uh, was it a model named Treasure? It says starring Michelle Morgan. Oh, Michelle Morgan. Okay, gotcha, yeah. So I'm just curious, yeah. when I when I read that, I, I assume that it's you that writes these descriptions. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And you try to, you're, you're trying to, you know, it's like if you're trying to sell, um, you know, if you're trying to sell like, you know, a, ba a bag of oranges, you know, they're, they're, they're sweet and delicious and, you know, they're bursting with flavor. And every time you take a bite, you know, just squirts into your mouth and blah, 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 blah. You know what I'm saying? It's anything that could get someone to click on that and buy that film because you're trying to pay your electric bill 
You know what I mean? I mean, no, Chris, I don't know what you mean. I've never tried to pay my electric bill by producing and acting and writing, you know, content for a death fetish film. So I think it's hard for Alicia and I to kind of wrap our brain around this being no big deal. And that's how you're paying your electric bill. I mean, I, I work with women in recovery and, and try to help them rebuild their lives. And so, you know, totally different end of the spectrum here. So when you keep saying, you know, you know, you keep saying, you know, like we should understand. I mean, we don't understand because this is not something that the general population is into or understands. And that's one of the reasons why we're having this interview today. So I guess when I read that, I'm just like, oh, so do all bitch women deserve to die? Like, that's just kind of the, the sure. gist yeah. that I get of it is that this is a, um, right. there's a hatred for women in this narrative. No, but see, that's, that's the thing is that, you know, you're, you might think that, sure, if you're not a person in the death fetish community, that description wasn't written for you (laughs) like what's the message that you were trying to send out into the world with your your production company i wasn't trying to send anything out into the world um i was trying to send it to a specific few people uh, is uh it's not made for everybody it's made for a specific community and it was targeted for a specific community and if you went to the website where that was initially posted, you would not be able to get in there unless you sent them a money order with your ID and with all kinds of other stuff before and you proof of your age. And you would never be able to see that because you can't get through the firewall. Right. And you, you speak so, of so, that so, like, like right. it's a good thing that it's there. And I suppose it is because you don't want kids looking at this content. Um, but right. is it behind all of those walls and gates because it's illegal? No, it's not because it's illegal. It's because, like I said, the credit card companies that are um, supplying the merchant accounts for the the clip stores that sell these things if they saw any sort of their legalities they would shut it down and then nobody these producers wouldn't have a place to sell their videos well what what is it that's making the credit card companies say no to this content yeah chris yeah please answer her question we're trying to understand why the credit card companies are walking away from scenarios that would involve death fetish pornography? Well, they have terms and agreements for having merchants, merchant accounts. And one of theirs is no adult films and no, um, you know, nothing raunchy, nothing. Yeah, so it's are just you saying that agreements. no porn can be bought with a regular credit card processing company? Well, that's no. Um, so what is it specifically now, about these death fetish films that makes it that way? Well, it's the content. I mean, um, you know, it's it's okay to degrade a woman sexually um, if you're not, you know, or even in a, in a Hollywood film, if you have enough money um, and you're doing a Hollywood film, it's okay to degrade a woman that way. 
or but you can't you know do it in a fantasy film um you know it's just uh i mean when i was doing it there was you know just the thought that you know the the powers that be and the people who own these big companies that you know fund these merchant accounts and and credit card companies they don't want to be associated with that i don't blame them well i don't blame them either I don't think anybody wants to be associated with films or any kind of content that glorify the murder of women. It's raunchy stuff. It's not made for everyone. It's horrific content, Chris. Honestly, it shouldn't even exist. It shouldn't be made for anyone. It's not good material and there is no good outcome from focusing on that kind of content. So you're saying this is like moral, not legal for these credit card companies? Uh, no, I, uh, I'm, I've, I'm pretty sure it's both. You are saying there's no distinction that it's both. I mean, so what you've basically said is yes, this is illegal to make these kind of films. No, I mean, or to it's, sell it, them. To sell them, yeah. <laughs> to sell them with a credit card. And do you think that any of the other producers are? worried about doing that continually uh, i think they're always worried that um you know their clip stores or whatever are going to get shut down but somehow you know these a lot of these clip stores they they run their merch accounts through offshore accounts that can't be touched in places where there aren't laws like that yeah so they're going to great lengths to keep this kind of content available for the people Absolutely. that are looking for it yeah and like i said i'm not i'm giving you truth i'm not sticking up for any producers or what i did or anything like that if i could do this all over again i wouldn't uh, i think that's interesting i think that says a lot about the industry and what it's really like and and how it's dangerous and how it's impacting negatively you know the people that are involved i feel like uh i don't know i feel like i wasn't doing the right thing i feel like that i wish i had that part of my life back um i wish that i could do other things um i wish that it didn't pretty much ruin part of my life and i, I think that's important and i appreciate your transparency today so you live and you learn and you try to be better and you try to, you know, not make the same mistakes. Um, but yeah, I made a mistake. You know, uh, when I started, I, you know, I was kind of low on cash and there wasn't a whole lot going on in the world for me. And this was something that was easy and it was fun and it was interesting because when I started out, it, it really wasn't sexual. Um, and, and then it just kind of turned into that. I, I am a little unclear as to the part of the experience that makes you say that you wish you hadn't done it. What is that part? Um, you know, I feel like I've kind of failed myself and went down a, a dark path. Um, you know, because yeah, it, 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 
I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of experiences and a lot of things that were positive and cool about it. And like I said, I got to, you know, write, I got to do Shakespearean films and write books and, and do things that, that I probably even could have done in the mainstream. Um, but, you know, I, I went down this alley and, and it was easy and it was paying really well. And I was, making more money than I ever did in my entire life Mm -hmm. um and it you know it was appealing to me because I could live you know the life that I wanted to live by doing this by doing what I was doing I mean we understand what you're saying but you're giving us all what you would consider I guess the perks of this kind of lifestyle this kind of career choice this decision but you're avoiding the question Chris I mean we and she's asked you you know directly what part of this makes you you know regret that you were ever involved and we're not interested in hearing well you made a lot of money or all these things that you that you see as positive what what part of this did you find so reprehensible that you think that it ruined your life? I really, we really want to know the answer to that question. The entire experience. I have regrets, um, but I've, you know, I never hurt anyone and I never tried to or wanted to. I'm not that type of person. There's different people and different perspectives. And I, I we're just discussing your perspective and, and, and maybe women like you, who, um, you know, think of this as like more realistic than it is because, you know, obviously it happens in real life. You're making films about it. So there's a connection there, right? Yeah. And there are some uh, really famous murder cases where the people uh, that murdered somebody had a death fetish and were members of this community. It does happen. There are people that have a death fetish that carry this into reality. I hear you saying that there's a low amount of that, but I have been doing a lot of research this year on that. And I have found over 20 cases. Wow. Yeah. I only knew of a couple, like there was one guy who was actually in the the community. I think he was in New York or something and he pretended to be a cop or something like that. Oh yes. The cannibal Um, cop. There you go. I would invite you to listen to this season of this podcast because we will be covering those cases. That's right. I think it would be important for you, Chris, to tune in. So, I mean, if you don't know about how many people from that community have gone on to commit real crimes, that this would be something that would be of great interest and concern to you. Well, I'll be listening to your podcast, obviously. (laughs) Well, but that's the only part of this stuff I'm going to be listening to because, like I said, I'm done with it. And, you know, I, I have my my life and I want to live it and I want to live out the rest of my life without, you know, the horror mans and the, you know, Jessica Browns and the people who are, you know, harassing me. That's interesting that you bring up horror man and Jessica Brown, Chris, because we've been relentlessly harassed by both of those shady characters. And I just think it's interesting that uh, you bring them up. So 
Chris, explain to us. So you say you're out of the community. So what does that really mean? You're not in the forums. You're not making the movies. I mean, what what exactly does that mean to be out of the community? Uh, the only person that I was talking to uh, for a while was this Jessica Brown person. She obviously took my character's last name. She's very obsessed with me. If you want to have another episode about that. <laughs> so this is, um, I guess you would call this death fetish community drama still uh, kind of spilling out into your life, even though you've... Yeah. Um, you know, these people that have been harassing me have called my mom and called my other people in my family. And so... And so this has continued for you, even with you leaving. Yeah, I mean, it was quiet for a few years, but then all of a sudden it hit the fan. And, and, and who, it just, and, who do you think is doing that? Well, I mean, I think it's probably a couple of people, but I think it's this guy, uh, Horror Man. So, Chris, essentially you're telling us that all of this drama that you're referring to in the community, which is really outlandish stuff, has been created by this username horror man that that's who you think is responsible for it yeah by him and and some of his other friends do you think this person is dangerous um well he seems to think he is so yeah. there are some bad eggs in the community no 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 and i i said that there are they're just not when i was in there and there was the heyday there weren't many so to kind of scoot us back on track here, is there anything in closing that you would like the general population to know about death fetish or the death fetish community? Well, from what I know, um, it's kind of gone to hell in a handbasket. That's all I really know. You know, like I've been out, out of it for a while and, you know, I'm going to stay out of it. Well, thank you so much for even being willing to speak with us about this chapter of your life that hasn't brought you everything lovely. You know, it sounds like there's been some hardships there and I know it's probably not easy to talk about. So thank you for being willing to do that. I think you've given us some great insights, something to think about and maybe even some more things to investigate. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you asked and... I'm willing. And thank you very much to you, our listeners. We hope you've enjoyed this very polarizing interview we've done here. It's fascinating to hear what is going on in the mind and in the life of a death fetish producer. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Thanks again for tuning in. We do hope that you'll come back next week as we talk even more about the death fetish community but if you have a secret in your community that you would like to share please email us at deepdarksecretspodcast at gmail.com and as always remember to keep your lights on for exclusive content from this episode and all other episodes head on over to our patreon patreon.com backslash deep dark secrets sign up and you'll be able to see some visuals that accompany each episode